Come on. A strong, powerful James Putra has returned to Lifeblood. Welcome back, James. Thank you, George. I appreciate the uh, the chance to talk again. It was a fun last time, and I'm looking forward to today. Yeah, likewise, man. James is the head of product strategy with TradeStation Crypto. Again, James, re- refresh our memories. Give us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, I think uh, I, I would say personally, I'm a total finance nerd. I love crypto. I love just trading. I've been uh, addicted since I was 18 years old. Um, what do I do in my personal time? If I'm not sailing around the water, I'm definitely listening to podcasts, yours, <laughs> reading news, and just staying plugged in. Um, yeah, I'm a trader at heart, so it's just any kind of anytime I can digest the information, it just is super. Uh, I'm passionate about it. <laughs> Love it, nice. So this is uh, we were just talking that we were having this conversation on Thursday, March 11th, and uh, price of Bitcoin was at around fifty six thousand dollars. Maybe it's way more than that now. That was a couple of minutes ago, James. Who, who, who's, who's to say? Yeah, you know, you blink and the price goes, <laughs> the price changes. Um, we'll see. You know, it doesn't. To me, it doesn't look like the uh, doesn't look like we have enough pressure to get over that sixty thousand. But you know, this thing is uh, anybody's guess. It's uh, <laughs> you know, you, you turn around and it's down forty. You turn around, it's up to sixty. Uh, it's super exciting. It seems that we have this maybe self-imposed block around one trillion market cap. Um, these psychological levels are usually a bit challenging. Um, we see like from our, our flows, we definitely see interest, but it doesn't seem the same interest as when we broke above 50. So we, I, I personally I would expect to meander a little bit around here for a couple of days before we uh, do anything major. So it, you're 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 reading the tea leaves. You're 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 looking at the indicators that you look at, and you say, okay, there's this seems to be this block around the total value of Bitcoin being one trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. What 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 are those uh, things that, that you're looking at that that suggest that to you? Uh, so a lot of these become psychological. So people are very fixated around one tr- market cap for Bitcoin. So big thing was fifty was 500 million now it's 1 trillion uh, it's sort of a discussion point so are we going to we start seeing the headlines are we going to break 1 trillion are we going to hold 1 trillion uh, it matters because when you based on the market cap it allows different players to come in so for example if you're the the saudi uh government fund you're not coming into a market cap that's not a multiple trillion dollar market cap so it becomes closer for you to participate now Take it down a step if you're maybe some mid-sized hedge funds, trillion dollar market cap starts to become something interesting you can interact with. Um, you know, Tesla got in, but Tesla didn't get in when it was a million dollar market cap. They got in much closer to 500 to $700 million market cap. They just need volume to be able to interact with. It strikes me as, as that's the opposite of, of what they ought to be doing, though, right? If the Saudi... <laughs> Shouldn't they? Shouldn't they be fine when it's less expensive? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's around their governing docs of the funds. Okay, uh, be, absolutely, it would be much better to buy a position <laughs> at ten thousand than fifty thousand. Um, now, speaking of the Saudi fund, I think that uh, I'm not sure what their minimum market caps are, but it's it's much higher than here. 
So you're probably not going to see them even engage in it until you're you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on Bitcoin. So theoretically speaking, that could have the effect of exploding it from <laughs> from one trillion to to, 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 to to who knows once huge banks or, or uh, the the Saudi funds once large entities with huge checkbooks get into the space. Yeah, that's been the story uh, this year, at least, is that as the excitement grew, the price grew, the market cap grew, more people, the pool was big enough to play in. And so you started getting folks with larger checkbooks, as you said, that starting to enter the space, uh, whether that's uh, Mass Mutual, Tesla, MicroStrategies, they're able to come in and play in this pool. It's still not a huge pool, but one trillion market cap is, is probably the sixth or seventh largest market cap uh, of, say, tradable assets, um, but still not massive. So as as that as this thing grows, it becomes kind of a self-feed, self-fulfilling prophecy. It gets bigger. There's requirements for certain funds to participate, so they bring money in and continues to grow and grow and grow. Uh, is it infinite? No, definitely not. <laughs> um, and where, where do these funds start, whether their pension funds, uh, sovereign wealth funds, they're still very underallocated to gold and gold is a much easier asset class for them to engage with. So my, I would expect to see them start to dip more into gold than the Bitcoin as a starting point. Although you'll get some of these leaders that will definitely drop in uh, like the Tesla's micro strategies, uh, MIT's, those guys come in early and uh, take on some of that risk, but definitely benefit from the upside as this thing grows. So that's just that 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 XYZ pension fund has traditionally just invested in in more traditional asset classes, equities, mm-hmm. fixed income, and they say, okay, well, crypto assets are certainly interesting. Why don't we, instead of going straight there, get into something like gold first? Yeah, well, last thirty years, the trade's been bond trades, right? That's the whole story: is bonds for these pension funds and some some stocks. Uh, if you're going to go into gold, you're basically reversing your thesis on the market <laughs> or Bitcoin. So you have to figure out what do you do with these giant bond portfolios and how do you start allocating? So you start moving into these maybe more inflation protected assets and um, the natural step for them. If you're if you're with Goldman Sachs and working Stanley, it's much easier to say, I'd like to take a metals position, whether that's gold, silver, um, than Bitcoin. And we would love to have. Saudi sovereign wealth funded trade station. We're just, we're like a, we're so small for, <laughs> for them, but that's really the, like those groups deal with this larger infrastructure that um, doesn't yet offer those asset classes. Now we just saw last week, Goldman starting to talk more about their trading desk. Um, JP Morgan's got some activity going. So it's coming, but they're not ready to start offering it at a massive scale to these larger, much more conservative uh, funds yet. Got it. Nice. Well, it should be interesting to see what happens, certainly. <laughs> so in, in terms, I, I know that we touched on towards the end of our last conversation, uh, what's going on with, with lending and borrowing of Bitcoin. So we'd love to jump into that. Yeah. So the market and people in general are desperate for yield. Um, we're, we're at super low yields on bank accounts. Uh, bonds are getting hammered in terms of yields. There's just not a great spot to park your assets and, and earn a yield at the moment. Um, so you need to move into something that's a little bit more risky. Um, but what's happening is 
this combination of fintech and this desire for yield and cryptocurrencies is all sort of mixing together to create these type of um, financial products and systems that sit outside the traditional finance system that have a lot more potential yield built into them. So uh, one interesting thing here is if you look at T-Mobile, they've just released a cash product, not related to crypto, but they're paying you 4% to have your cash there. It's bank account like, <laughs> and you're starting to see these other products pop up in the market. And crypto, we've seen a lot of them, whether that's Trade Station's product, BlockFi's product, Nexus product, Celsius's product, now Gemini. Um, it's a way that you can, we're offering a way that you can earn an interest rate on the assets you hold. And it's a lot different than, like, so today if you have a stock, maybe Microsoft, you get a dividend, and that dividend yield is nice. Uh, in crypto, there wasn't really anything like that. And the lend-borrow market has opened up this ability for customers to uh, be able to hold the crypto assets and still earn an interest rate on them. Um, now, like, why does it all kind of exist? So there's a demand for some type of yield, but you have a lot of folks that now are holding on to crypto assets. So I've got crypto, I've got Bitcoin. I don't want to sell it. So if I bought Bitcoin at $10,000, it's $50,000. I'd like to take some cash off the table, but I'm going to take a pretty huge tax hit. So if I have the idea that Bitcoin is going to continue to go up, uh, maybe I want to hold it for a few more years and I don't want to take the tax hit. How do I get some cash against this? And the lend borrow market has opened up a, a good pathway for those customers to be able to borrow against their Bitcoin. So they use their Bitcoin as collateral. They go to different service providers and I'll give you, let's say one Bitcoin and you'll give me cash in return. I don't lose, I don't end up with a taxable event, but I'm able to extract cash and use that cash for whatever I need. Uh, so it's a great way for folks that are, want crypto exposure that to be able to extract some cash and use it uh, while they're trying to hold on to their longer term position. And Bitcoin, creates a really nice collateral. Um, it, I mean, it's volatile for sure, but it allows us to take in, so when you go and lend out your cryptocurrency, what you're doing is typically an over collateralized loan. So I will go to a crypto service provider and I will give them one Bitcoin and I'm gonna get half as much in cash. So equivalent of half a Bitcoin worth of cash. So maybe if I were to frame that a little better, if I wanna borrow $10, I need to usually post anywhere from 15 to $20 in Bitcoin. And that's how the over collateralized borrow protects both the lender and the borrower. So I am holding on to an over collateralized loan. I can make those loans on a larger basis because I have less risk as a firm. And so firms like BlockFi, Celsius, Genesis, those groups have all formed around this main concept that people want to be able to take cash out of their crypto assets. And in return, they are able to go and do whatever they want, but they have an interest rate that they have to pay to BlockFi, and then they have margin calls potentially. So let's say you borrow $10 worth of cash, you give them $20 worth of Bitcoin. If the price of Bitcoin falls to $15, you're gonna be required to put more Bitcoin in. And if the price of Bitcoin goes up, you're okay until you close the loan. Does that make sense? It does. And so you have all these firms that are trying to participate in that space and help the retail market. Now, market's big. It's, uh, I think last year it was over $10 billion. 
but it's not the main thing that's going on underneath the hood. You have also now these firms that are starting to uh, extract cash from their crypto holdings to be able to do trading strategies. So a big one that's been going on is this cash carry arbitrage. So a firm, whether you're a mining firm or maybe you or I, we have a firm together, for example, that has 100 Bitcoin. Well, we can earn a yield on that by lending 100 Bitcoin to somebody, getting cash and going and selling futures contracts. And we earn a yield on that. So we're long 100 Bitcoin. We can be short 100 Bitcoin on the future side. And we're just taking that spread. Um, near risk-free, right? Your spot position changes at the time, the same rate as a futures position. And that's been going on quite a bit. Uh, definitely with the CME products, some of the ICE products, um, you'll see f some firms that are more aggressive are going to go the same long spot short to the derivative perpetuals. And it's fueling this market of the borrow side. So the market is heavily desiring cash. And so this is kind of the the backbone of what's going on there long crypto they need cash how do they how do they get the cash out of those crypto holdings without the taxable event um that's sort of the underpinnings i'm not sure if i got too technical on that um like as that sort of builds up you end up with firms that are like trade station for example and like how do we participate in that market we we don't directly uh, the customer with us doesn't directly interact with a loan customer with us is going to deposit crypto collateral. They're just going to have the crypto they use on the exchange service. For their deposit, we're gonna pay them an interest rate. So we make things pretty simple for them. So you deposit one Bitcoin, you're gonna get an interest rate. You deposit some stable coin, you're gonna get an interest rate. Behind the scenes, what we're doing is we are managing a loan book. So we, we rehypothecate the assets and we will make loans out to institutional borrowers on an over collateralized basis. And so what we're doing in that sense is I'll go to uh, ECP, eligible contract parties that have met our risk criteria, and we're going to make big loans to them, one, five, 10, 15, $20 million loans. We're gonna take in Bitcoin as collateral, and we're gonna continually monitor that Bitcoin collateral to make sure that the value of the loan never drops below our desired threshold. In the event that it does, 24 hours a day, what we're gonna do is issue margin calls, back and forth between the borrower, or we're gonna liquidate the loan. This way, this way the loan is at uh, low risk. Um, that's how we manage it. Now, if you go to the likes of BlockFi, you just deposit, they do all the back end for you, and they have a different collateralization model. Um, if you go to Gemini, for example, Gemini, you deposit your funds at the exchange, but you elect to participate in a Genesis product. So they lend the assets to Genesis. Genesis then does the loan out to the market. This episode is brought to you by Money Alignment Academy. If you are looking for a financial wellness platform for your company, your organization, and your employees, check out moneyalignmentacademy.com or click on the link in the notes of the show. When you say liquidate the loan, what does that mean? Yeah, sure. So... Um, I have a loan out to counterparty A for $20 million and I have in collateral Bitcoin for $40 million. If Bitcoin collateral drops below 30, I'm going to just liquidate the loan at market value. Whatever the proceeds are, I make sure that my $20 million principal is covered and I return the rest to the counterparty. Got it. So, so you, 
you then take ownership, permanent ownership over the the value of, of the Bitcoin and then give the remaining Bitcoin back to the person? So <clears throat> there's two people here. There's three people. There's the customer. And the customer, no matter what happens to the loan, TradeStation is responsible for uh, that customer's Bitcoin. Got it. So if for whatever reason the borrower defaulted, uh, customer's not impacted. It's us that has to make the customer whole. So that's the relationship between TradeStation and the customer. And the relationship between TradeStation and the borrower, if the borrower's loan to value drops below what we're comfortable with, we liquidate the loan, meaning that, um, so I'm sitting on Bitcoin. I'm going to sell the Bitcoin at the market rate. I'm going to get cash back. I'm going to make sure that that cash that came back is enough to cover the loan principal. And whatever the difference is, I return to borrower got it okay nice and, and so that's how we manage the book there's different firms that have different risk uh, tolerances but throughout the industry there's different um, like some firms go out there and they don't do any collateralized lending they just lend out and that's a little bit scary <laughs> you know you give, I'll give you cash and you'll pay me a higher interest rate so you may go when you see these service providers that are offering 8, 10, 15, 20% on stable coins, it's a much lower collateralization. <laughs> There's a reason it's so high. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating when, when I was preparing for our conversation, I thought, okay, I'm sure that there's different levels of this lending borrowing, kind of like mm -hmm. a payday loan versus going to a brick and mortar traditional bank and then everywhere in between. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, there's, there's some service providers that are massive and they're very much like payday loans. <laughs> kind of low sharky on the retail group. But they, they have two sides of their business also. They have what faces the retail in terms of a deposit account, maybe a bank-like product or even a lending product. And then they batch those up and they have an institutional side of their product, which is interfacing with potentially a trade station or a BlockFi or, or another service provider. Um, like we as these entities like Gemini, Traceation, we have a lot of customer assets. And so we have the ability to um, vet counterparties and interact with selected counterparties to provide institutional loans. Like we're not, we're not built to go to 100,000 people and manage these micro loans. BlockFi is, Celsius is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when we may have in our relationships with those folks, they manage those large, like, retail side of the loans and we just manage our relationships specific with the larger entities got it nice makes sense well james <laughs> the uh, people are ready for your difference making tip what do you have for them okay so last time i said ask questions uh, i still hold asking questions this is the most important <laughs> uh difference making tip is uh, make sure you have some exposure to crypto <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a big difference for you in the next few years. Uh, whether that is just education or you have something in your portfolio, make sure you understand what's coming as this um, Internet of Money Network. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. James, <laughs> thank you so much for coming back on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, James R. Putra. Uh, you can also find us at TradeStationCrypto.com. That's, you know, stop by, check us out. We'd love to have a chance to share uh, what we do with you guys and uh, 
appreciate the time, George. I did forget to mention my legal disclaimer. All of my points are my own opinion, not the representation of Trace Station. Um, but again, as always, a pleasure to talk with you. I hope this was valuable and interesting and uh, excited for the next time we talk. Yeah, likewise. If you enjoyed this as much as I did, show James your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. You can find James on Twitter at James R. Putra. It's P-U-T-R-A. And also check out from TradeStationCrypto.com. Thanks again, James. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. This episode is brought to you by Money Alignment Academy. If you are looking for a financial wellness platform for your company, your organization, and your employees, check out moneyalignmentacademy.com or click on the link in the notes of the show.